0: Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Knowledge Seeker podcast as we discuss diversity in education. I'm your host, Dr. Charity Stevens. Welcome to the Knowledge Seeker Podcast, where educators embrace practices that value knowledge seeking over point chasing. I'm your host, Dr. Charity Stevens. I'm so excited for today. You are in for an enlightening conversation on diversity in teacher education with ASCD author and assistant dean of educator preparation and school partnerships at Texas A&M, Dr. Valerie Hill-Jackson. Not only did I have the pleasure of having her as a professor in my educational doctorate program, I also had the honor of making a really small contribution to her most recent book, What Makes a Star Teacher? Seven Dispositions that Support Student Learning via ASCD. In addition, she's passionate about examining the disproportionate number of teachers of color compared to the number of learners of color in the classroom. So sit back, relax, and join us as she offers historical insights and solutions to help build diverse educational communities. Welcome Assistant Dean of Educator Preparation and School Partnerships at Texas A&M, Professor Dr. Valerie Hill-Jackson. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Dr. Stevens.
0: I'm so glad you could join me today. Um, I would love to start out with you taking a moment to tell us a bit about your background. I had the pleasure of listening to some of your other podcasts, and it was fascinating for me to learn about um, kind of your upbringing to now. So tell us a little bit.
1: Oh, well, it is my pleasure, even though it's not all that exciting, but um, I hope it gives everyone an opportunity to To see a glimpse into um, my life and my passion. I am the 12th of 13 kids. Um, I was born and raised in New Jersey um, from two amazing uh, parents who both did not have the pleasure to go to school ever. My mom once told me that she went to school one day um, and she was just so enamored with the school and the teacher and the kids. She was about She would have been sort of eligible for grade five, but she had no schooling until that time. And I want you to uh, understand, your audience out there, that they were uh, raised to be a part of a migrant culture. So they were born into families where they they were not afforded the opportunity to go to school. They were migrant workers, their family. So they would travel uh, from state to state, month to month. Um, picking, harvesting whatever crop was in season, and from Florida to Northern State, and that was their life, and that was the life of uh, my brothers and sisters up until I I think about their ninth child, and thank God, by the time they had their tenth child, they settled down, and so I've always known uh, a settled life, but I've also known what it means to to get an education as well, Um, so that's my family. I'm the first and uh, only one to go to a a four-year institution and um, I think my trajectory was such that I was sort of lifted by by classroom teachers, teachers who looked beyond my circumstances being in a a rural community. Uh, We were uh, quite impoverished and they saw something in me, these amazing teachers, and encouraged me to go on to higher education. So, this has been my life, um, the classroom, and supporting teachers as well, and our learners.
0: And well, and really, that's the heart of our conversation today is uh, what can we be doing in education to lift up our students, um, especially our students um, with diverse backgrounds? Wonderful. I want to start with a quote. Um that I got from you. And coming from the perspective of a white female teacher myself that speaks and teaches a second language, I fell in love with this, so I wrote it down. And it says, a child who is fortunate to have teachers who are black, white, Latino, LGBTQ, and who speak a different language is preparing to interact with the world. Why do you feel it's so important to have teachers that represent their students in the classroom?
1: Oh, um, I can see why um, you were attracted to that quote with your background, Dr. Charity Stevens. Uh, you know, America is a grand experiment, and we are one of the most diverse nations on this planet. There's no one quite like us. We are we are quite grand in that way. This diversity that that we have that is really um, in every uh, part of our our nation. Uh, Diversity of thought, of geography, uh, political affiliation, these are all elements of diversity that have to be respected. And these are all elements of diversity for which we have to be intentional. Because for one to be somewhat savvy in interacting with people who are diverse, you have to understand that that. Kind of diversity acuity doesn't happen by osmosis. what <laughs> has to be intentional, right? You right have to decide that I'm gonna have diverse people in my life because I realize that having people just like me does nothing to expand my horizons or expand my mind. So we have to intentionally seek out people who have. Uh, a, polit- a different political affiliation, who live in different parts of the country of the world or who think differently. Because when we do that, we are sharpening ourselves against them and we become stronger, more ag- agile, and more flexible in our thinking. And so uh, I, 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 let me just pause there.
0: Well, so I had a couple of thoughts on what you said. I, one, you, we live... I've been reading a lot of Brene Brown and absorbing the things she has to say. And, you know, we live in a very polarized uh, society right now. And so my one of my passions is to be able to teach students to value differences and be able to hold differences in opinion. um, But still seek to understand one another. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And that requires a different kind of training for our educators as well, because we often pre- present knowledge as if there is only one truth, right? And right. so we now have to be a little flexible in how we share information, share, sharing information from multiple perspectives, being able to um, value. And I think that's what a lot of different cultures want most of all is that they would love to have the opportunity for their information or their knowledge to be affirmed and valued. And that is a real skill for people who are engaging in that kind of diversity of thought. But but it also means that that those of us who are going to be educators, we have to also show our students, if we can do this by example, that would be great, but probably in our assignments, how they can take information from multiple sources and affirm it. And not that you have to, you know, wave a flag (laughs) and, you know, stake a claim, but understand that knowledge comes from different sources and that um, it's important that we affirm those sources that are reputable in nature.
0: Absolutely. Um, Thinking back to, uh, One of the, uh, podcasts I heard you speak about, it made me think about your experience with diversity from the first school that you taught at. I correct me if I'm wrong. I want to say it was in New Jersey. That's correct. Um, at a extremely impoverished school. And then you went from there to Texas A&M and kind of the difference in political climate that you changed, that you experienced. Right,
1: right. You know, um. I think for a lot of our teachers, uh, we are trained in a particular environment, and and then we have this sort of false assurance that we know how to be good teachers. One of the things that I learned in going from uh, an urban environment, primarily kids of color, to Texas A&M, where, the, where the, my learners were now uh, mostly middle class, white females, is that you're you're not a good teacher until you can be um, flexible enough to go in and out of different spaces. So the teacher who is good, for example, in teaching kids in an urban environment in Camden, New Jersey, uh, will run into some issues if he or she is not willing to uh, really engage this this new context and, and the new learners. And I learned that the hard way. I began my teaching career at Texas A&M, having left Camden and used a lot of the same approaches and not realizing that my learners were different. And it wasn't going to be until I really spent time with them, learning them, um, dealing with my own biases and assumptions, and then taking the time to make adjustments in my coursework and really forming relationships it wasn't until I did those things that I was going to uh, really see a difference in, in terms of um, my my teaching, right, and and the effectiveness of my teaching. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that in educator preparation we realize that our we need to send our teachers out in different spaces. Um, just because you can teach someone who looks exactly like you or comes from a similar background, I think that makes you the kind of teacher that can only play one tune. You know, we need to have a, a diverse repertoire of um, a teaching experiences and um, um, uh, a diverse repertoire of, of how and when we engage, and that only happens when we have different kinds of field placements, different kinds of professional development, professional development experiences, and different kinds of experiences in our personal lives, too. So can you imagine a teacher, Dr. Stevens, who uh, says that they believe in diversity, will only teach in same uh, culture context, and when you look at his or her personal life, you see no elements of diversity in or around them. None. And and for a while, I was that teacher, too. I mean, I, I espoused all of that. And when I looked into my personal life, I had, I had no friends or, or professional spaces where I could interact and become more intelligent about what it means to really have diversity in my life. And that would mean that I would have to, again, be intentional. Diversity requires that we be intentional with our experiences because it's so easy to just settle into a comfort zone and not, you know, Seek out these, these diverse experiences. So I hope everyone doesn't follow my suit and and learn early that we have to be intentional with, with our experiences.
0: Well, I think we all, um, have biases that we have to look into and be reflective on. Um, that's part is what that's part of what helps us grow as as learners and as individuals. Um, and sometimes the work is hard.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, to go back to your earlier question about, you know, the, the child who has diverse educators is preparing to to interact with the world. And, you know, what I really believe is that when we set our, our, our kiddos up for those kinds of uh, experiences with diverse teachers, we're helping them in so many different ways. Uh, you know, early on, we, we learned that the teacher is, not just a, an authoritative figure in a classroom, but the student is looking to our teachers as role models. And when you can have diversity of educators, it helps our students in so many ways. You know, we can see, for example, a decrease in um, in bias and uh, in ways that children discriminate or how they see forms of discrimination. We also know that when, when students have diverse teachers, it helps them to be able to communicate better across different cultures. And it also prepares our students to, to be ready for this interconnected world and our interconnected marketplace. So we owe this to our kids to place diverse learners in the classroom because the benefits are profound.
0: We do owe it to our kids, and yet there's a a large gap in teachers of colors versus the number of students uh, in, of color in the classroom. Um, can you share some statistics on that?
1: Well, the statistics are um, quite humbling. You know, what we find is that nearly 85%, some pockets around the country, 90% of our teachers past, present and future Are primarily white, female, middle class, and Christian. And so that leaves somewhere between 10 to 17% of our of our teachers across the United States who are teachers of color. Um, I specifically have been looking at the issue of African American teachers, and we find that five percent of our teachers are African American women, while only two percent, only two percent are African-American males. When you look at the demographics nationally, uh, African-Americans make up anywhere between 12 and 15 percent of the population. So conversely, when you look at our student population, we're finding that students of color are becoming um, really the main population in our classroom, 70 percent, 80 percent. And our white children are 20 to 30% of the classroom. Now, I hope folks listening to those statistics are saying, why is there such a mismatch? Well, we know that the population rate for kids of color is growing. We understand that. But why are we still, after 150 years, why does our profession have 85, 90% of one particular ethnic group? I, I find that troubling, and I hope that anyone listening to me finds it troubling as well. Why hasn't there been a change? And I think if we looked at any other occupation, and there was one ethnic group occupying that occupation more than any other, that it should send alarm bells. Um, there's, there's reason why this number barely moves, but this is our reality, but it does not have to be our future.
0: And this goes back to you've done some research on Brown versus Board of Education and the impact it's had on African-American teachers. And you had shared an article with me um, earlier in the year that I read. And it was just it was like a veil was lifted for me because I didn't um, while I've seen the the positive impacts, of course, for students, um, it did not occur to me the uh, negative impact that had on African-American teachers at that time.
1: That's correct. Uh, Brown versus Board of Education, Dr. Stevens, was one of the most consequential civil rights pieces of legislation in our nation's history. And it just so happens that it affects our nation's classrooms. And so while we were all cheering and so excited about the idea of integration for our children and knowing what it would mean, Um, There were only a few of us who were thinking about the um, other other after effects, if you will, that this piece of legislation would have on our black teachers. So you have to think about the nation's history. We're a very young country. We're only 400 years old. The first 250 years, we had the institution of slavery, uh, followed by, um, in the last uh, 150 years, uh, Jim Crow laws all the way up to the 1960s so our our children in this country were educated along two tracks right after right after um, uh, the emancipation of our uh, of the slaves in this country so America purposely created a two-tier system separate schools for whites and and then we had separate schools for Blacks. And that education was inferior in every sense of the word, whether we're talking about books or or the, the schools themselves. Um, they just did not ever get the resources that they deserved. But there was a, a group of people, Black women primarily, who stepped up and said, our children and their future lies in them getting an education. So historically, Black institutions, got together and trained black teachers for black schools. Um, and so we had a 2 system, and these teachers were there for these kids for 90 years. And when Brown came along in the 1950s, um, what we did was we, we said, okay, babies, our, our K-12 babies, you can now go to school with, with white children. But no one thought about the teachers and where they would go. And unfortunately, we had principals and superintendents who said, I'll take your black children, but I don't have to take your black teachers. And so what (laughs) we started to see then was the dismissal of thousands. And in the South, the reports are 60 to 70 percent of our black teachers were let go and they had to find other occupations. And so that has had. a a reverberating effect on the field that has never recovered because this is a group of teachers that was never welcomed properly into the K-12 system in this country like our K-12 kids.
0: And these were often women with degrees in education but they were not getting placed in public schools because um, often they were being overlooked and people without degrees were teaching in their place simply because they were white.
1: And that's how that's how racism and bias works, that you will justify hiring others. And time and time again, uh, principals and superintendents would say that these Black teachers didn't have the credentials, uh, they weren't competitive enough, but reviews of uh, the portfolios and Uh, uh, experience of these black teachers compared to their white counterparts, time and time again, uh, prove that they were as competitive in most cases, more competitive with advanced degrees and um, also experience inside of the classroom. Uh, A special case that folks can read about online is uh, a lawsuit that was filed in Michigan by a teacher, her name was Jesse Simmons, and I've written about her. And the reason why I wrote about Jesse is because she was uh, the one case I could find, and I know there were many, uh, but the one successful case, uh, she was able to sue a school district that would not hire her after she had um, competitive credentials, and she was successful. Now, the fight wasn't a short one. It was re- uh, retracted. It lasted eight, nine years before she was vindicated and um, she was allowed to uh, or offered a position in the district and, and she, she declined. She went to teach elsewhere. I, but but her, her case- I
0: don't blame her for declining <laughs> after that long. I mean, gosh.
1: <laughs> and so that's, that's my new mantra, Dr. Stevens. Remember Jesse Simmons. Her case was one, the, the only one I could find. I hope that there are more out there. Uh, many many of our uh, uh, well-credentialed Black teachers just went elsewhere. And that kind of uh, pushback really formed a lack of interest in our field. The good news is that if we all are on board that this is a problem we want to tackle, there are ways to, to do that. I mean, we are the country that sent a man to the moon. We can fix this, Dr.
0: I believe the same thing. And you talk about kind of ways to fix the leaky pipeline that has happened since the seventies. Um, you talk about um, districts utilizing special emphasis officers for underserved communities and the grow your own programs through high school teacher academies. Um, can you share a little with us about how these uh, can help?
1: Sure. You know. Um I really uh, believe that recruiting is a great tactic or tool to uh, invite uh, those who may not understand the the real sort of privilege of being a teacher in the greatest country on the planet. And so, but I also believe that if you have a special problem like we have, this underrepresentation of diversity in the teaching force, then special problems. Uh, really deserve special solutions. You got to do things differently. You know, what we do currently is we put information out on a website or we will offer certain incentives like financial aid and things like that. But when you have a broken pipeline and people are not paying attention to you a certain demographics, uh, you got to do special things. And so one of the suggestions that I had after looking at all of the research around the country, and there are some really great programs that often happen uh, within historically black institutions who are trying innovative things and who have always, by, by the way, been at the, at the forefront of doing this kind of great work. And our historically black institutions um, prepare and train most of the black educators in this country, and they've done so for a very, very long time since the 18th hundreds they've been doing this work and so it makes sense that they would be the leaders in this kind of innovation that is needed so when i took a look at the innovation that's going around the country there's so many things in in terms of uh, of of special ways to engage communities that haven't always been at the table when it comes to teacher preparation Uh, and, and we have to be again intentional about engaging these communities one of the, the big ideas that I, 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 I learned in looking at the myriad of, of initiatives around the country is that usually when one comes from a marginalized community, those traditional approaches don't work for us. You know, if I, for example, I know as an African-American woman, if I want to invite other African-American women to the profession, I need to make sure that my recruiters look like me. I need to make sure that I go into the community and not rely on a website to Mm. uh, really do that kind of intentional recruiting. Um, I may even try something different. I may even, where do black women love to go on a Friday and Saturday? (laughs) They love to go to the hair salon. (laughs) You know, that sounds really fun and foreign to a lot of your listeners. but, But if you're really interested, you have to know the community and do things differently to engage them. And at the heart of all these initiatives that I found was the concept of community. Marginalized groups are used to being left out or kept out of the conversation. And when you intentionally invite them and form relationships and show up in their community, they are more willing to to sort of latch on to those opportunities that you're trying to share. So uh, another sort of initiative that I, I suggest in, in that uh, book chapter that I shared with you is that we have special emphasis officers. You know, the, uh, again, the um, would-be recruits are not just going to show up at your door and knock. You need people who are going to go out in the community and knock on doors. And special emphasis uh, recruiters, um, their job should be, to really engage the community in ways that matter, that make sense to them. So it won't make sense to the district or or, or these highfalutin universities, but when the special emphasis recruiter is empowered to engage the community in non-traditional approaches and then make those relationships in those communities on the ground, then we will see a change in who comes to our profession. We are the best profession on the planet, the profession that prepares all other professions. And it makes sense that the teaching force reflects the beautiful diversity in our nation. And when we don't do that, we're we're missing an opportunity.
0: It makes me think of, you know, some difficulties that a predominantly white suburban district, such as one I teach in, might have in the recruiting if you if we're hoping to have people um, that look like who we want to recruit but then nobody in central office looks like that right you know where do you where does one begin
1: you need to begin is with some bold questions in the administrative office who are we and who is it that we serve or want to serve and how do we want our young people to walk away from here? Do we want them to be ready for this interconnected, very diverse world? Or do we think that when they leave here, they'll leave and find more bubbles that look like us, right? right. So the administration has to be willing to have those uh, very bold conversations and then willing to do something different. I mean, I, you know, I don't, uh, We, you know, budgets are always a constraint, but if it is important and, and, and for every district, it's, it's not, and, and that's just the truth, but if it's important for the district, that you have to let your, your uh, money be where your mouth is. And you have to prioritize these kinds of initiatives in your budget to say, you know, we're going to bring on uh, one new person from an underrepresented group um, every year, right, that we hire. Uh, maybe our target is to diversify our administrative force and our teaching force um, up our numbers, double it every year for the next you know five years or decade. That, that's doable. Uh, we have to set these uh, grand visions for ourselves and then find a way to support those visions um, with and how we fund our initiatives. Uh, we just have to do it differently. And we have to be willing uh, to see this as an urgent matter, not something that's a kumbaya moment. Diversity isn't about just, you know, um, touting your numbers. But where there is diversity, there is imagination, there is creativity, and there is strength.
0: And a stronger sense of community.
1: Absolutely. Who are we preparing our kids to be? Um, And that really has to drive the question. I would love for all of your babies coming from your district able to interact with all kinds of diversity. That same quote that you quoted at the beginning of our our, of our talk today, that if this is the kind of work that we want to do and need to do, we can put our heads down and make it work.
0: I think we've talked a lot about a lot of really great ideas and we could probably go on for hours, but in... In the essence of time in this podcast, um, I thought I'd throw out one more question. So so often as the teacher in the classroom, you, it's easy to think, well, that's an admin issue or that's a district issue. Um, and I, I would really like to for that thought to dissipate and go away um, for classroom teachers. So I think of myself in the classroom um you know, what steps can I be taking to ensure learners of color are feeling supported and part of a community and not feeling isolated?
1: Um, I really appreciate that question, but there are two things that I would encourage every teacher in a classroom to begin thinking about and doing. And the first thing you can do, is to understand that you and I both have biases and all of our brothers and sisters in the classroom have biases. And the first thing you can do is to name them and to understand that you have them. It's the most humbling exercise anyone can do because unfortunately, Dr. Stevens, we don't get to check our biases at the door. They follow. They follow us into that classroom, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. And I've done the work myself. I didn't like what I came up with when I had to take a look at the fact that there there were certain cultural groups with whom I was a little bit more uncomfortable than others, with whom I had certain thoughts and ideas and judgments about. And that's okay. It's not okay if you leave it there. That you don't decide to create an action plan to work on it. So once one has really done the work to catalog and you know identify your, your own biases, develop an action plan on how you're going to do it. You know, one of the things I did was to and really be intentional about the relationships I would have in my life. You know, um, whether it was uh, making sure that I had folks who had a different political uh, affiliation than I did or who had a different sexual orientation, I have really healthy relationships with all of those different sort of facets of, of culture. And they they are not just for me to tick a box, but they are authentic. And I worked on them because I did, I, I realized as someone who espoused diversity, I was doing a really lousy job at living in. My walk and my talk did not align. So I ask your brothers and sisters on the on this podcast today to really think about whether or not you're you're walking your talk align. Um and then the other thing that one can do in the classroom is to uh, really just have discussions, conversations with the kids who are different. That Is pretty powerful. You don't need to plan a culture day, a culture dinner. (laughs) That is a very sort of low-level sort of heroes and holidays approach to understanding culture and difference. Our kids who are different in your classroom, you better believe that they understand that they are different. And they are always looking out to be affirmed. So having those meaningful conversations and discussions with those kids, the kid who has, you know, different color hair or or who speaks another language or who who is a different ethnicity, just have a meaningful conversation and get to know them.
0: Well, and not only then are you building a relationship with that child, other other kids see you building that relationship.
1: There you go. And after all, Dr. Stevens, we are the role models in the room. We're showing them how to do it.
0: Absolutely. Walk the walk.
1: That's right.
0: Thank you for being with us today. I really appreciate it. And I hope to partner with you again in the near future.
1: It's been my pleasure. And can I tell the podcast audience out there that uh, we work together? I was your lead learner and you were a student in my course and you were fantastic in your energy Um, exploded from start to graduation so thank you for all that you've done and uh, bringing this opportunity to life I appreciate it
0: well I thank you as well I had you for uh, more than one course um, and you uh, had high expectations of all your learners uh, which I valued and you know some days I might have grumbled some but it it Pushed me to be the person I am and educator I am today. So thank you as well.
1: My pleasure.
0: For more information on this topic, please follow Dr. Hill Jackson on Twitter at TCON Community, capital T C O N Community. Also, for more podcast episodes, please visit KnowledgeSeeker.org And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at DrStevensEDD and Instagram at DrCharityStevens. Until next time, take care.